0: Good morning, everyone. As most of you know, I grew up in Michigan, just like Les and Carolyn. And one thing we get a lot of in Michigan that we don't get down here is is snow, right? And throughout my experience, and I know Les, you probably can identify with this, we had to drive in snow a lot a lot. And you guys as well in New York. One thing we learned real quick was how to drive in snow. And then my wife and I got married. We're fast forwarding about 30 years of my life, but we moved down to Virginia in the Washington DC area. And one thing they don't get very much of there is snow, just like here in Florida. Well, in 2010, we had a storm come into Virginia of over a weekend, almost 45 inches or something like that, which was a lot for even in Michigan, but it's a lot. Um, They called it Snowmageddon, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. Um, And so it was, it came in on a Friday and we knew we had already preemptively canceled our church services for the weekend because we knew it was going to be a lot of snow. And so my wife and I were going home on a Friday and saying, well, let's just swing by the store. We'll get some stuff. We'll cook up some pancakes and we'll turn the fire on because we had a fireplace and we'll watch a movie or something and just kind of relax all weekend. And then we get to the store and, uh, I, it's the only equivalency I can think is hurricane prep time. Uh, everything was, and I had never experienced this before. Cause like I said, I'm used to snow. And I was it was no big deal. And we get there and the shells are completely wiped out. There's nothing there. Uh, you know, toilet paper is gone. Who needs 48 rolls of toilet paper over a weekend? I don't know. But it was gone. Uh, nothing was there. And I'm sitting here with the few items that I could scrounge up for our weekend breakfast going, wow, if this was this is just two days worth of snow. This is nothing. And I'm thinking, what would if this was a real catastrophe? What would happen? Well, fast forward, just ten short years, and we're seeing similar behaviors, right? And I was just sitting there, and I, would, at that time, it, it seemed so insignificant. But I remembered this verse from First Chronicles twelve thirty two, and it, it's a, speaking of the children of Issachar, and it says the end of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200 and all their brothers were at their commandment. These men in Issachar were were known to have understanding of the times and they were called upon in this specific situation to give wisdom and direction for what should occur. And I was sitting there back in 2010 thinking thinking of this verse and it's, Come over and over, in my spirit, um, many times since. And what happened next? We had snow all weekend, and it was well over thirty inches, uh, almost almost forty five over from Friday until su- Sunday morning. And we lived in an apartment complex, and I went outside, and our car was completely covered. I mean, up to the hood of the roof of the car was just buried in snow because what had happened is the plow truck came down the center of our apartment complex and just went and pushed all the snow onto all the cars as he went through. So there was one lane and that was it. It took me by Sunday morning, I was getting pretty stir crazy and needed to get out of the house. Now I didn't know 2020 was coming and I was going to be in the house for eight months, but at the time it seemed like a long time (laughs) and it took me five hours to dig the, sn- the car out of the snow. And all the, it was just covered and it, it was ridiculous. And so by that point, things were starting to open up. And I told my wife, I'm like, we got to get out of the house. This is ridiculous. So we went for a drive. And of course, if you know my wife and I, you you could probably guess where we went. We found a Starbucks and said, let's get a coffee and just sit down and relax. So we got a coffee and some of the places where we lived in Virginia, they had these kind of parking complexes that kind of went downhill and into the parking. I can't think of one similar, but you kind of go down a hill and around kind of over where you put like when you're pulling the Cody's, something like that, where it's going down. So we slide down in, slide down in and get a coffee and then we're on our way up. And uh, at the time we're driving a 2016 Nissan Sentra, which is an old car. Back then it was old and now it's or a 2006 Nissan Sentra, sorry. And um, front wheel drive, of course, for driving in the snow. And I'm pulling up, I've got coffee in hand, pair of sweatpants on because I was just chilling and um going up and in front of me is this brand new back then BMW X series, not even, beautiful car anyway. And she's going, and the, the person driving is fishtailing cause those are real, real drive cars, right? She's fishtailing and then she starts sliding back. I looked at my wife, I'm like, this lady's gonna hit us. She's like, no, no, she's fine. I'm like, I'm telling you, this lady's gonna slide right into us. And so we backed out and she finally got control of her car and we're just kind of sitting here. And by then I'm white knuckling the steering wheel. I'm like, please don't crash into my car. And then she gets out. She opens the door. And this, this has to be true because nothing this insane would ever happen in a story. She comes out and she pulls and she starts approaching our vehicle. And she says, can you help me? I'm like, well, sure, of course I can help you. She goes, can you just get in your car and push into my bumper and push me up, up the incline because I don't have the traction? I said, "Ma'am, I'm happy to help you, but you're out of your mind if you think I'm going to smash into your $60,000 car with my $10,000 car. It's just not happening." I said, "I'm happy to to drive it. I grew up in the snow. I'm happy to drive it and drive it out for you." She said, well, I can't let you drive my car. I'm like, "You can't let me drive your car, but you let me smash into the rear end of it." It was just a completely insane situation. So, I said, "All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'll help I'll push you and get you going cuz she just needed to get the momentum. She just wasn't she was spinning her tires. So I sit her in the car and she's got a manual transmission, which makes it even more insane that she was getting stuck. But um, I tell her to put in second, like we're taught. Right. Put in second and just let the clutch move you out. And she says, no, in first. I said, no, put it in second. And just let the clutch and the tension move you forward. Don't don't even hit the gas. Just let the clutch move and I'll get you moving. And once you start moving, hit the gas. I said, whatever you do, don't hit the gas. She's like, no, 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 I got it. I'm like, trust me. <laughs> so, of course, I get behind her. And what does she do? She floors it uh, in first gear, spins the back tires. And from ankle to chest, I was covered in slush and mud and water and grossness. And I pushed her off, and she went on her way. And. I get in the car and my wife's laughing at me, of course. <laughs> and I'm just like, Ugh. she didn't even say thank you or anything. She just sped off and drove away. And I'm like, I'm going to follow this lady and let her know. But anyway, so we went home and that's my Snowmageddon story um, and the understanding. And again, I was contemplating this verse throughout, understanding the times. And there's a lot that we could say about it. It's Knowing the wisdom of what to do. So standing in line and at at this point we're having a snowstorm over a weekend. Do we really need to buy every piece of toilet paper in the place? Right. And knowing my wife's like, just grab a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk. We'll make some pancakes and we'll (laughs) we'll call it a weekend. Um, And just knowing. So I was contemplating over and over again. What understanding the times, knowing the times, knowing where we're living and I thought, well, what times are we currently living in? What times are we currently living in? And if you want to know, there's only, there's really one place to go when it comes to knowing the time we live, and that's Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Jesus tells us, he lays out this um, outline, if you will, timeline of of what it's going to be like before he returns. And he he opens with four verses, verses four through eight. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and you shall come, and shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. And it says all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, Hopefully this is all sounding a little bit familiar. But the thing that I focused on, or that I want to focus on is, it says, take heed that no man deceive you. And he talks about people coming and saying they are, they are Christ, or saying that they know the answer. And if you read through the rest of the chapter, it talks over and over again about prepared for deception, being prepared that no one can deceive you. And so for me, that means... We have to understand the times in which we're living, and that we so that we won't be deceived. And continuing on, if we look at the towards the end of the chapter, he talks about the days of Noah, verses thirty-seven through thirty-nine. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And he knew not until the flood came and took away took all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He says the times before he returns are going to be very similar to the times when Noah was on the earth before the flood. And we could go back to Genesis chapter 6 and we'll see that they were doing, every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. They were There was wickedness every, let me see, chapter 6, verse 5, God saw that the wickedness Of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Now, we live in some pretty strange and perilous times, but I don't know if we're there just yet. We're getting close, but every imagination of every person's heart was only evil continually. That's saying something. So, that's to me is also a clue of understanding the times in which we live, and knowing what's coming. See, Jesus so perfectly lays it all out for us, doesn't he? And all we have to do is read scripture and see what's coming, and we know. And back when I was waiting in line at the Giant on uh, Braddock Road in, in Centerville, Virginia, people talking about the end of the world because of snowmageddon is literally what they called it. I said, the end of the world is not coming. The world is not going to end because of a snowstorm. The end of the world is not going to happen over this weekend because I know all of these things that have to happen first. I understood, right? Also, because there's deception, people are open to be deceived. And if you look at 2 Timothy 4, Paul talks about, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4.3. It says, a time will come when the people will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We heard a story about that this morning, didn't we, Brother Al? (laughs) And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. This is also something that's coming. Maybe it's coming and starting and going to increase. And when I read this verse, I thought of itching ears and finding teachers who will teach you what you want to hear. And I remember a pastor friend of mine when I was going to Bible school. Excuse me. I was going to Bible school and I knew a guy, we weren't going to the same Bible school. He was going to a different uh, seminary. And we were talking uh, at at the place where I was working. And he told me, he goes, Yep, yeah, I'm getting ready to graduate. And I'm like, wow, awesome, you know, because I was just getting started. He's like, yeah, I'm putting together my resume. I'm like, your resume? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, i got to do a resume, and I've got to record my uh, sermon, a CD full of sermons and send them out to churches that are hiring pastors. And I said, churches are hiring pastors? What are you talking about? a complete foreign concept to me because I grew up in the system that we've grown up in where you don't interview for the job, you're placed where God puts you. And so to me, it's like, yeah, I got to do interviews with the board and they got to hear me preach for a month and see if they like what I have to say and then I'm hired or I'm not. And I said, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard. But what are they doing? They're listening for someone who's going to teach them what they want to hear. Right. "Ah, We don't like your message. I don't think we're going to hire you. Or style, or whatever, um, and I'm not down. I'm not trying to downplay that or mock that, but that was just a com- complete foreign concept to me because I'd never heard of such a thing. But it reminded me of this verse, and I'm not saying every church that does that is like this, but it just reminded me of this verse of looking for itching ears to tr- people who are going to heap truth upon them that they want to hear. And um, once I got into the ministry, I experienced this a lot more, where people would come and we would get visitors into our church in Virginia and they would stay for a couple of weeks and they'd talk to you and they'd want to kind of gauge what you were looking for and gauge what you were all about and then they're gone or then they stay depending on But they're looking for oh yeah I went to this church last week and this church last week and this church last week they're looking for someone who's gonna give them what they want to hear it reminded me of a Quote, and this is common, and it's looking for truth that tickles your ears or tickles your heart, something that's convenient, a convenient truth. Um, and I hate to say it this way, but sometimes what God has to say is an inconvenient truth. When he says to change, and he says to transform our hearts, that's an inconvenient truth. Yes, you're out of line. You need to be in order. And you say, but God, I don't want to change. And he says, well, do you want to go on with me? It's an inconvenient truth. And we have to be open to hear that. And many of the conversations I had with my pastor growing up were inconvenient. (laughs) They were not always pleasant because it hurts when God applies the scalpel to things in our hearts. And it reminded me of this quote I read in a a biography of uh, Steve Jobs. I can, he's been gone long enough to where I can say his name. And in his, I read this quote or this biography of, of him, and he said, I think different religions are different doors to the same place. And that was kind of his mindset, but that captures the mindset of a lot of people in the world. The different religions are just different doors. We're all going to the same place. And that's a common truth that's kind of permeating its way into the mainstream church too. How many times do we hear pastors say, I don't really want to talk about sin. I want to just talk about God's love, right? Well, God's love is, is a great topic, but we still do need to talk about sin. And so what comes next? Well, uh, If you read the Bible and you read Matthew 24 and other places, it says that this is just the beginning of sorrows. It'll increase and increase. Well, it's important for us to know that, isn't it? Not that we're doom and gloom and, you know, repent for the end is near, although there might come a time and place for that. But to know and the stability that comes with that understanding and that knowledge, the stability that it brings in us, okay, the world's not going to end. Uh, we know that there's going to be some difficult and challenging times, but there's a lot of things that need to take place before the world ends. Right. And so knowing that and having that stability is something that encourages us. It holds us steady. It holds us fast, but we can also share that and impart that to others. So what comes next is, well, we, we know that it's going to increase. Um, what the world needs. What does the world need right now? What does the world need right now? And I can say this, I don't get political. I know Pastor Daniel doesn't get political either. And there's a reason for that because the world doesn't need politicians that are politics. That's not what's going to change. Um, I lived in our nation's capital for 10 years and I can tell you there's a lot of things that happen there in our nation in, in Washington, D.C. on both sides of the aisle that will not change and bring repentance into the earth. What we need is 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, which says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We need to turn... From our sin. We need our nation to turn from our sin. We need the people. We need the church to turn from their sin and to cry out to God for repentance, to cry out to God for revival. Now, that's not something you hear a lot about, repentance, because it's inconvenient to, to hear that you need to change. We hear a lot about God's love, and you can't diminish God's love. God is love. He's the very essence of perfect divine love. But, you know, we also need to understand that sin is something that God hates. And it's not the sinner that he hates. It's the sin itself that causes the decay in people's hearts. And we need to understand that. God loves you just the way you are and is, is something that sounds really good to itching ears. But it's not the message of salvation. The message of salvation is turn from the way you are and walk a different way. God loves you, yes, but turn from the way you are and walk a different way. And it's a much better way, right? God hates sin because it's the very antithesis of his nature. God hates sin because he is holy and holy, holy cannot abide with sin. God hates sin because he is righteous and the epitome and and personification, if you will, of righteousness and unrighteousness cannot be a part of righteousness. So he wants us to leave that sin and walk on and be like him and be in communion and fellowship with him. This is what the world needs when when Isaiah 40 in verses three and five, the voice of him crying in the wilderness, saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord the Lord is coming, the Lord is returning, and what is he talking about? Bringing down the mountains, raising up the valleys, straightening, straightening out that which is crooked, smoothing out that which is rough and full of stones and pebbles. And what are those stones, those little iniquities and impurities in our hearts? The things that are crooked, that are out of line. Raising up those valleys of inefficiency or ineffectiveness or self-consciousness and lowering those mountains of pride. He's talking about change. And then he says, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. When the glory of the Lord is coming, do you want him to fall, go over mountains and through valleys and around corners and over rocky roads? Or do you want him to have a super highway like I-75 through Atlanta that's got eight lanes in both directions. You want him to get there as fast and as straight as possible. So we've got to prepare the way for him to return. That's the message. That's the thing that we need. So how can we make a difference? How can we make a difference? When we see difficult times, we see panic and so forth we need that stability that comes from knowing god's word and knowing who he is that poor lady i, I think about her often in that in that bmw and she she really was scared because she thought she was going to be stuck there forever and she was she was panicked she's like can you help me and i'm like of course i can help you what she needed was someone who had an understanding of the situation, who had an understanding of how to drive in the snow. She didn't, it's not her fault. She grew up in a place where there's no snow. She was driving the absolute worst kind of car to drive in the snow. It was so funny because I was driving home in the middle of that snowstorm from work because I was essential personnel at the time. There's a foot of snow on the ground already and I'm in a little, I think I had a Hyundai Elantra. I had, that was my car and my wife had the Nissan front-wheel drive, and there I am just plowing through the snow like nobody's business. And there's BMW, Mercedes, all these rear-wheel drive cars on the side, just abandoned on the side of the road where people just parked them and started walking home. And um, they needed someone with the understanding to navigate through. And this lady needed someone to help her. So what do we look for? How can we make a difference? Well, we look for wisdom, a call for wisdom. Esther 1, verse 13 in the face of insult and embarrassment on a national scale the king who had just been humiliated by his wife in front of some very important people what does he do he calls for those who are wise esther 113 then the king said to the wise men who knew the times for this was the procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment. They knew the times, and the king looked to those who were wise to help him figure out what he needed to do. Isaiah 33, verse 6 says, Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times, and strength and salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Stability that comes from wisdom, comes from knowledge, stability, and then also strength, being able to be a strength to other people. I'm so used to, I was just talking to someone virtually and we were sharing a conversation about asking people for prayer and asking people for help. And we were texting back and forth and And they said, I'm not used to asking people for help. I'm used to being the one that people ask for help. And I said the same thing. I said, yeah, it's me too. I'm always the one that people go to for help. I'm not comfortable. I feel weird. But we have to know that our strength (laughs) comes from the Lord, right? And being willing to ask and to reach out and and rely on people when when you do need that source of strength. And being a strength to others as well. The Lord is, is their strength. The Lord is our strength, and we can be strength to others and stability and, and uh, lift them up and hold them steady in difficult times. So as we know, there are some keys to getting wisdom. John 1, James 1 verse 5 says, If you lack wisdom, ask for it. Lord, I want to be wise. Well, have you asked him for it? Have you asked him for wisdom lately? Lord, what is, I need your wisdom. He says, if you, James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. This is not some magical secret formula that you've got to find clues and search out a map. He says, if you want it, ask. And he gives it, it's not like there's a limited supply, you know, like the toilet paper on the shelf. <laughs> it's unlimited. He gives liberally. Gives up over and above. You just have to ask. In in James four two, he says, "You have not because you didn't ask." So first clue to getting the wisdom that we need. And what is wisdom? What is wisdom? What is wisdom? It's knowing what to do, and when to do it. It's knowing the right thing and when and when to do it. It's it's having that. <laughs> Knowing the right thing, knowing what to do and when to do it. That's it's the simplest definition I can come up with. There's a lot of other We could go about wisdom for weeks, but we need to ask for it. Another clue is associate with wise people. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with wise men becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you want to be wise, associate with wise people. If you say, I don't have wisdom. Well, look around. <laughs> Who are you hanging out with? Right? Associate with wise people. And then Daniel 2, that was Proverbs thirteen twenty. Daniel 2, 21 says, he that changed the times and the seasons be removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So another clue to getting wisdom is be wise. Now that might seem counterintuitive. You want to be you want wisdom? Be wise. I understand it this way. When he gives wisdom, walk in that wisdom and he will give you more wisdom. That's the way I understand it. It's not like, oh, you you're either blessed with it or you're not. You ask for it, he gives it to you, you follow it, he gives you more. That's kind of that's how I understand that and how I apply it. So if we want to be wise, we first have to ask for it. Associate with people who are wise and learn from them. That's what I love and appreciate about our leaders and the fact that they're teachers. They're teachers. I remember many times walking the halls at Ed ZMI and, and just talking to Pastor Bailey, and he would just constantly teach us. And, and it wasn't, everyone asked me, was it always like this super like heavenly spiritual stuff? And I said, no, not really. It was some of the most basic practical things, uh, at least when he was talking to me, they were in the middle of a building project. So he was talking about dealing with contractors and dealing with construction people and just basic stuff and just sharing all of the things that he learned so that the generation after him could have a leg up and have another step. And that's what a lot of our instructors and leaders in our fellowship do. They just share what they've been taught to make your life easier. Don't make the same mistakes I did. Here's how you can learn from what I've done and and get better. And so be around those kind of people who want to share that wisdom so that you can learn more. And then, of course, walk in it. Another thing, how we can affect change, wisdom, knowledge, which we've talked a lot about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Having knowledge, studying out that knowledge, and then, of course, understanding, which kind of they go hand in hand. Having the knowledge, having the knowledge and the understanding of when to apply it, when to speak, when it, the right situation matches the knowledge you have. And knowing, of course, how to use the wisdom and knowledge that you have is all comes from that gift of understanding. Understanding like the men of Issachar who knew the times, who knew the situation and said, this is the way. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how it all plays out. And explain that and share that to others. Because there are times when in, in, the, in the difficulties that are coming ahead where people with wisdom and understanding and knowledge are going to be needed. There's, If you read in in Daniel 11, and we're, we don't have time, so we won't go into all of it, but there's those, and, and then also in, in Revelation, there are those who, when the anti, the kingdom of the Antichrist comes, there are those who are going to fight and go to war with him. And that sounds like a good idea, and there's many people who are going to do it. But What does God's word say about those who do that? What does God's word say? You know, I know you know. It says they're going to lose. So is it wise to be involved in that? Is it? No, I don't think so. (laughs) Do you want to be a part of a battle where you're going to lose and probably die? No. That's having the understanding of saying, this is what God's word says. Don't do this. Don't do that. You're going to lose. And having the understanding. So in those times of difficulty, those who have understanding will be looked at to show and share that with others. And I think of the sons of Zadok from, what is it, Ezekiel 44. To be able to teach people the difference between the holy and the profane. Between the unclean and the clean. Teaching discernment. Teaching the difference, which you don't get a lot of that these days. Ezekiel forty four twenty three. 23. So what do we do now? How do we apply this now to where we're living? We say, well, Lord, I need wisdom. First of all, ask for that. Lord, help me grow in knowledge. Help me to grow in understanding. Help me to know when to say the right things and what the right things are. And grow in it, prepare in it. And we can apply it, as you know, Um, it it may not be snowmageddon, but there are opportunities to apply understanding for the times that we live in and affect actual change in our little sphere of influence, whatever we have, wherever you are, and, and share that with others and provide stability. Stability is the thing that just kept going over and over. It's it's such a, such a stabilizing force to be able to understand what God is doing, it's just it it just hold causes you to hold firm and say, all right, whew, I know what's happening. I might not know every detail, and frankly, I don't need to know every detail. But I know that God's in control, and I know where He's taking us. And you say, all right, relax, calm, calm the emotions, and say, God, I know You're in control. And it brings stability. It does, and. When people see that, they're going to say, why Why aren't you freaking out? Well, because I know the God's in control. And I have that stability. And, and we need that understanding of how to navigate through the snow. Understand how to navigate and drive through the snow and and know that there are people out there who've never experienced anything like that before. That poor lady, she never even... Probably hadn't seen that much snow in her life. She had no idea what to do. And I was a little upset at first because I was covered head to toe in sleet and snow and rain. And it's funny now when I look back on it, but I was like, I got back home and I'm like, it wasn't her fault. She didn't know how to do what needed to be done. She needed someone with understanding to show her the way. And that's what we can be. We can be those with understanding to help show people the way, but we have to prepare wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Well, I trust this was a blessing to you as it was to me. So, Father, we thank you for these words, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. And Lord, we ask, we ask for all of us, Lord, give us your wisdom. Help us, Lord, to know what to do and when to do it. Lord, we know that you give liberally, and we just ask that you would give us your wisdom, give us your knowledge, give us your understanding, Lord, for our own stability, for our own sake, but also, Lord, so that we can help others who who need so desperately to know who you are and to know that you're in control and have that stability, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. Just ask your blessing upon each and every one as they go their separate ways, those who are watching at home, that they would be blessed as well. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name.